0: What is the only biblically correct answer to every single Bible question? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I am a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. I believe that the Bible is simple to understand. Not necessarily easy or without some work, but simple. And by that, I mean that you and I, guided by the Spirit of Truth, can read the words of Scripture, and when we take the right approach to understanding those words, we can then learn, comprehend, and apply what the Bible says. Today, I want to tell you about the number one thing that you absolutely must do in order to correctly understand the Bible, no matter who you are or what you know. It's very simple and something that I do all day long whenever I study the scriptures. In fact, without fail, this one thing will give you the only biblically correct answer to every single Bible question. I'm not exaggerating. It will consistently help you to find every scriptural answer. Doesn't that sound awesome? But before we get to that, we need to spend some time talking about some of the absolutely wrong ways to approach the Bible. Ways that we need to be able to identify and avoid if we're ever going to truly understand God's Word. You ready? All right. One of the main things that keeps believers biblically illiterate is our over-reliance on the insights and teachings of others, our leaders, our teachers, books, commentaries, videos, whatever. Now, Don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that we can't or shouldn't learn from others. But the problem is that we tend to let other people do all the heavy lifting and not try to understand the Bible for ourselves. So much so that even when we do read the Bible on our own, we'll tend to only see what we've been previously taught, which is a problem if what we were taught was wrong. Now, there are many different reasons why. We rely too heavily on others for our understanding of the Bible and how to live for Messiah. For starters, it's reasonable to look for help when we have trouble understanding what we're reading or find it unapproachable. While we all learn at different levels, even those who are more natural learners can have difficulty translating the thoughts and concepts of an ancient holy book from an ancient world into our modern frame of reference. And so we look to others who are more familiar With or more comfortable with the text to tell us what it means. Obviously, having difficulty understanding what we're reading is a legitimate reason for reaching out to others for answers, but not for an over reliance upon what they say. Teachers can help to accelerate our learning, but they're not supposed to be our primary source of biblical knowledge. Speaking of which, we also tend to rely too much on others simply because we think they know better. We think that if they've been educated or trained or ordained, or if they're an engaging speaker, or if they're just more well-studied than we are, that that automatically means they know more than us. But just because someone's received an education or can captivate an audience, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're as competent as we expect them to be. We would certainly hope that they're capable and accurate teachers. But if we aren't familiar with the Bible ourselves, how would we know if they weren't? We also tend to rely too heavily on what we're being taught simply because it's the same thing that we've always been taught. Our faith traditions can be so entrenched within us that we never give them a second thought or at least question what they mean. And worse, we tend to receive those traditions as Scripture Assuming that the traditional teaching or doctrine and the Word of God are one and the same. While tradition can help us to maintain a common culture and a set of beliefs from one generation to the next, and hopefully those things are good and true, it doesn't necessarily mean that our traditions are biblically correct. And finally, and probably most importantly, we will habitually over rely on others to tell us what the Bible says when we're lazy or unwilling to put in the time and effort ourselves. If we think that others understand the Bible better than we do, and have the education, training, or gifting, and everything's already been all figured out for us, and tied up with a nice little systematically theological bow, then why would we ever be motivated to read and understand the book for ourselves? We can't be like the people of Israel backing away from the foot of the mountain in fear and trembling, begging Moses to not let God speak directly to us. The Bible isn't some textbook that we need to be lectured about or studied in a laboratory. It's the Word of God breathed out to His people. It's a Word not to be held at arm's length, but to be consumed, internalized, and then lived out. Always letting someone else tell you what the Bible says is like watching a slideshow of someone else's family vacation. You weren't there. You have no connection to it, no memory of it, no personal investment in what it means. Over-reliance on other people to tell you what the Bible says or how to apply it to your life means that you receive the Word of God by hearsay. You're a disinterested third party. You didn't witness anything. You weren't at the scene your testimony is invalid. So, we need to resist this tendency, and we do that by realizing what it is we have, the written Word of God, and allowing the reality of that to motivate us to want to hear what He has to say to us firsthand. Now, does this mean that each of us has to become a so-called Bible expert? Well, if being familiar with the Bible— how it's organized, what type of information is written in it, what tools are available to help you understand it, and where in it to go to find out what you still need to know, if that's what being a Bible expert is, then you absolutely need to become a Bible expert. Understanding what the Bible says and how it applies to your life isn't brain surgery. Having an in-depth knowledge of the intricacies and minutiae and background of the Bible may be helpful in certain instances, but never crucial to becoming intimately familiar with it for the purpose of fully living it out in your everyday life. When we're over-reliant on other people or sources to tell us what the Bible means, the result is that we simply end up regurgitating whatever we've been taught, giving an overabundance of weight to man's word without sufficiently corroborating it with the word of God. According to Ephesians chapter 4, true teachers are a God-given gift to the body of Messiah. We need teachers who are gifted in helping others to fully grasp the scriptures, who can help to fill in the gaps and correct us when we've gotten off track. And we also need those who have studied the ancient biblical languages and can help us understand what those words literally mean. But never, under any circumstances, is any person or source of information to be considered a replacement or spokesperson for the Bible. Trust true teachers, but still verify what they're teaching. And you can, because the scriptures are sufficiently accessible to each one of us to learn what we need to know in order to live our lives daily as disciples of Messiah. We need only the self-motivation to obtain that knowledge. So the general biblical illiteracy that is readily found in today's body of Messiah is due in large part to our over-reliance on others to tell us what the Bible means. We tend to rely too heavily on others when we find the Bible difficult to understand, when we think others know the Bible better than we do, when we treat tradition as equivalent with Scripture, and when we're unwilling to put in the time and effort to understand the Bible for ourselves. So, over reliance on others is one of the main ways that we tend to wrongly approach the Bible. Now, the other absolutely wrong way that we often seem to go, the other end of the pendulum swing, is through over reliance not on others, but ourselves and our personal points of view. This often comes in the form of an individualized understanding that is gleaned from three highly problematic areas of unconscious Bible interpretation. And those areas are spiritualizing, emotionalizing, and rationalizing. Let's start with spiritualizing. When we spiritualize something, it means that we take something with a fixed physical or practical character and replace it in our minds with something else, such that it now spiritually represents to us something new and different. This is not the same thing, by the way, as making spiritual application from something that is not directly explained in the text, like Paul does, for example, in allegorizing the covenants in Galatians chapter 4. Spiritualizing goes beyond making spiritual application. It has an entirely different agenda. It says that this thing over here is no longer what the scripture says it is, but it is now literally this other completely different thing. We see spiritualization most overtly used where it comes to Christians viewing themselves as the new or spiritual Israel. Even though the Bible clearly and consistently says that Israel is a specific, identifiable people group synonymous with the Jewish people as of the first century, Christian theology spiritualizes the concept of Israel to such an extent that it has historically claimed for itself God's promises to Israel, as well as Israel's unique chosenness, all at the expense. Of the Jewish people themselves. I'll deal with this topic in much greater detail in a later teaching, specifically about the quote, Israel of God in Galatians chapter 6. But the point remains that whether or not you agree with its theological conclusions, Christian theology spiritualizes Israel whenever it replaces Israel with the church. Spiritualization is the means by which this doctrine exists. So that's somewhat of an overarching spiritualization that we typically see. On the other hand, one of the more personal examples of spiritualization involves just a single word in the scriptures, the word you. You'll often see the spiritualization of you in passages like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. These passages and others like them have a greater context in which we see that the surrounding verses indicate that God is speaking here to his people Israel. So, when we rip such passages from their context and make the isolated verses all about ourselves, making ourselves the you in the passage, we're spiritualizing what the scriptures say. Again, this is beyond the correct practice of gleaning a spiritual principle from the text. For example, about how God can have plans for us or protect us. But by making ourselves the you in a given passage, we run the risk of spiritualizing the text, a spiritualization which is then invalidated by taking into account the verse's immediate context. So spiritualizing, Spiritually assigning a new and different meaning to something that has a biblically fixed definition is one of the widespread problematic ways we approach the scriptures. The next unsound personal approach to understanding the Bible is emotionalizing, which is what we do when we interpret the scriptures through the lens of our feelings and emotional sensibilities. So, for example, take Matthew chapter 25, where Yeshua, Jesus, is explaining what will happen when he's sitting on his throne in all his glory and he turns to the unrighteous ones on his left and says to them in verse 41, go away from me to the age-enduring fire that has been prepared for the accuser and his messengers. And in verse 46, it says that these will go away to punishment, age-enduring. So Matthew 25 tells us that the master Yeshua will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. And that those who he deems unrighteous will spend eternity with the accuser, the devil, in age enduring everlasting fire and punishment. Now, this, of course, isn't good news for anyone, because no one in their right mind wants to think about people being tormented even for a little while, much less forever. So, what happens then when we have family members, parents, siblings, children, people we dearly love? who haven't accepted Yeshua's salvation, and we know that one day they'll find themselves standing in judgment before the king. Well, if we're not careful, we start to emotionalize. We just outright reject the concept of everlasting fire and punishment, because after all, God is love. And then we tell ourselves that a loving God would never allow people to suffer in hell, even for a little while, much less forever. Emotionally, we just can't reconcile the two concepts, a God who is both loving and condemning. So we favor the one that makes us feel the most comfortable. And this is what we do with any scriptures that we come across that might minimize our happiness or blissful ignorance. When we emotionalize, we're reacting emotionally to scripture, but in an unhealthy, unhelpful way. This causes us to gravitate toward the scriptures that make us feel better and ignore or deny the ones that force us to deal with difficult issues that can elicit what we consider to be negative emotions. So when we approach the scriptures through the filter of our emotional sensibilities, when we emotionalize them, it colors how we read the scriptures. It keeps us separated from reality. And finally, the third highly problematic way we tend to personally approach the Bible is through rationalizing, which is what we do when the Bible contradicts what we think or believe, and we try to use our intellect to reason our way around it. We're rationalizing, for example, when we read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, that in six days the Lord has made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But then we look at what we are told is the obvious old age of the earth and the universe of billions and billions of years, then conclude that, of course, God didn't make it all in six actual days, as we understand days. So therefore, we rationalize that day doesn't actually mean day. And how about when Moses is further commanding Israel regarding the covenant of the Torah, the law? And he says, for example, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 24, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. Then when we become concerned with the idea that the Sabbath, the feasts, and all the laws of the Torah are supposed to be forever, we flip over to Hebrews 8.13 and find that it says, presumably about the Torah, that in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. Since it appears to be saying then, the operative word being appears, that because the Torah is obsolete, growing old and vanishing, we therefore rationalize that when Moses said forever, he doesn't actually mean forever. So when we rationalize the scriptures away like this, it's because we're starting with our own thoughts, ideas, biases, and preconceptions, and then attempting to fit the scriptures into our pre-existing matrix. We're not allowing the Bible to reshape what we think and know. In a way, it's kind of like emotionalizing because it often begins with a negative reaction to something we read in the Word, and then we try to outsmart the text so that we can be at peace with it now that we have solved its mysteries and changed its meaning. Now, obviously, when we encounter what seems to be a legitimate contradiction, we need to use whatever faculties God has given us to try to understand it. But rationalizing redefines what is actually written in the text to try to make it harmonize with our personal knowledge and beliefs. We're rationalizing then whenever we impose our own reasoning onto the scriptures because it appears to contradict what we think ought to be true and we can't bring ourselves to accept what the Bible seems to be saying. Rationalization, then, along with spiritualization and emotionalization, all contribute to our biblical illiteracy because they invite us to interpret the text in a way that we find most agreeable and most comfortable. They allow us to make the divinely inspired written word of God mean whatever it is we want it to mean. So all this, then, begs the question, If we're looking for biblical answers primarily from other people, or we're spiritualizing, emotionalizing, or rationalizing answers for ourselves, then how can we know when we land on the right interpretation? For that matter, is there even a single correct answer to any given Bible question? Because here are our options. Either there's no one way to understand the Bible, that any given text can have multiple meanings, or there is actually one correct God intended understanding. Put another way, if you and I differ over what the Bible says, either one of us is right or we're both wrong because we can't both be right. Now, I'm not talking about different ways that different scriptures might speak to us or really hit us in a critical moment in our personal lives. I'm talking about the objective meaning of the text, which doesn't change no matter what's happening or who's reading it. So if there aren't multiple ways to understand the Bible, then how do we determine what's right? And this brings us to the number one principle for good, reliable Bible interpretation. If you will consistently do this one thing, then you'll not only get the biblically correct answer every time, but you'll get the only biblically correct answer that there is. Every single Bible question can be correctly answered this way. And if we just start by enacting this principle, then we'll always be headed in the right direction. In order to get the only biblically correct answer to every single Bible question, you need to answer that question with this What do the Scriptures say? Just do exactly what Paul models for us in Romans 4 3 and asks, what does the Scripture say? And in Romans 10.8, what does it say? And in Romans 11.2, have you not known what the Scripture says? That's it. Is Yeshua God? What do the Scriptures say? Is there life after death? What do the Scriptures say? Which behaviors are sexually immoral? What do the Scriptures say? Ask yourself, what do the Scriptures say? And then go to them And find out. Don't ask someone else. Don't read an article or watch a video. Don't filter the text through your own thoughts, emotions, or spiritual insights. Just read the Word. I can almost guarantee that if you take this approach, you will be shocked by what a plain reading of the Scriptures will do for your biblical understanding. Because unfortunately, you'll probably find out that the Bible doesn't actually say a lot of what you thought it said. Now, I'm not saying that if you just ask this magical question that you'll suddenly be able to fathom all the mysteries of the universe. What I'm saying is that when we look at the text for ourselves and we set aside what we've been previously taught and whatever baggage we might be bringing along, then we will be getting the word unfiltered at its source. This is what Peter calls in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, the word's pure milk. He says we're to desire it like newborn babies, nursing directly from their mother's uncontaminated supply. The point is that the Bible, not other people and not ourselves, is the only authoritative voice that we should listen to. Now, if we go to the Word and work to understand what we're reading, but still don't get it, then by all means, go to other sources for clarification or to compare your understanding. But what the Bible says is the only place where you can legitimately start. It's the only place that has the 100% right answers, because only the Bible will always be biblically correct every single time. In 2013, we published my book, Bearing the Standard A Rallying Cry to Uphold the Scriptures, which is an expansion of a pamphlet called The Bible Its Sufficiency and Supremacy, written by 19th century Irish theologian, C.H. McIntosh. In his pamphlet, he wrote the following, The grand business of the servant is simply to do what he is told. This makes all plain, and moreover, it will make the Bible precious as the depository of the master's will. The all-important inquiry is, what saith the scriptures? This settles everything. From the decision of the word of God, there must be no appeal. When God speaks, man must bow. In other words, what God wants us to know and to do is written only in his word. So if we want to know the truth, if we want to know what he wants us to do, then we must first and only ask, what do the scriptures say? And the answer to that question will settle all others. We cannot appeal the decision. We must bow to the voice of God. His plain and precious will for us is only what is spoken in the scriptures. As an epidemically, biblically illiterate body, we've been programmed not to look to the Bible for answers, but only to look like we're looking there. We allow all kinds of voices to influence our understanding of the Bible, including our own. And we cringe at the idea of absolute, objective, unchangeable authority and truth. When we ask the question, what do the scriptures say? We're surrendering our will to the black and white of the word. We're confining ourselves to the walls and boundaries of the Bible and accepting whatever it may say back to us as fact. If you want to break free of any biblical ignorance and truly understand the Bible, that you need to quit spiritualizing, emotionalizing, and rationalizing the Word. And you need to stop over-relying on others to feed you what they think the Bible means. Instead, you have to take responsibility for your own understanding of the Word. You need to go straight to the Scriptures, desiring its pure milk, and draw it directly from the source with no interference. Yes, you will need to become more familiar with the Word. Yes, you won't be able to do it without some help, nor should you. Yes, you will make some mistakes along the way. And yes, you'll likely need to unlearn things that have become deeply ingrained in you and will be very difficult to unlearn. But by simply and sincerely asking the question, what do the scriptures say? You will defy biblical illiteracy and set yourself on the path toward the fullest possible understanding of the Bible. Push aside your preconceptions and hear God's voice in his word. Put forth the effort to become truly familiar with the Bible so that you can listen to what he has to say to us firsthand. Don't be over-reliant on others to tell you what the Bible means, but read it and find its true meaning for yourself. Ask the question, what did the Scriptures say? and you will only and ever get the answer that is always biblically correct. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Work Ministries and MJMI with your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring the bell to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, leave me a comment or shoot me an email at at perfectword.org. That's perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting aright, and for instruction that is in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.